This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome to the show. I thought it was important as well on this Wednesday to have a discussion with somebody who uh, could help us get through, but also start to frame how we work together moving forward. Uh, she's an amazing psychologist, uh, centered, African-centered. Uh, she's been here before. She'll be back again. Let me welcome Dr. Jamila Codrington. Welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to be here, Karen and Laurie. Uh, I hope you all have been well since we last spoke. Yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you coveting? How how does a psychologist deal with mental health? How because physicians can't necessarily take care of themselves, and they often don't. How how are you? How are you doing? You know, it's been a roller coaster ride. I have to be honest. Uh, in the very beginning, I think I had a lot of fuel in my tank. Uh, I was sort of headstrong on doing everything that came my way in terms of healing circles and virtual Zoom listening circles and um, taking on just the, the, the burden of um, COVID when it comes to mental health and wellness. And, you know, one of the things that is difficult is that sometimes you can preach something, you know, in terms of self-care and, and understanding the impact of stress um, as a silent killer, uh, but when you are in a helping profession and you are also a person of African descent, and it's not a lot of us, and there's a lot of people uh, sort of looking to you uh, to shed light and to uh, bring about community healing, you can forget about yourself. And when June came around, I actually started to, um, I started to get stress headaches. I started to break out with acne, and a lot of times, um, you know, I wasn't sleeping well, and the physical body keeps the score. You know, you may be headstrong and continuously, you know, fighting the good fight, but when those signs show up in the body, you know, it was an opportunity for me to, to take a pause and take care of myself. But I'm, I'm better now, and I'm back, and i um, happy to be here. Just for instruction, I'm asking for a friend. What did, what did taking care of yourself look like? Uh, actually, it first meant um, saying no, uh, being able to have better boundaries and recognize that um, I could make a referral. You know, I didn't have to be the end all and be all of, um, you know, the, the face of black mental health in, in, in my community. Uh, it meant getting back into an exercise routine. So I, you know, went on and got a bunch of things that I could do in my house because the gym membership, you know, was, was uh, terminated. It meant, uh, actually, I wasn't eating well, so I invested in, like, a meal kit prep program um, just to get through those busy days when I wasn't able to cook my good full meals. Um, and I set my alarm, and I decided I was going to have a bedtime, you know, and beefed up my prayer ritual and, and meditation and, and, you know, sort of the spiritual disciplines that help keep me on point. So many of us, I'm sorry, Lorraine, I'm sorry, because as she's talking, I'm, I'm thinking about Dr. Dr. Codrington is here, how, how we know the things to do. Everyone who's listening, we all know the things that we need to do. And we just forget until something taps us on the shoulder, whether it's a health crisis or mm -hmm. something. How do we, you forget, <laughs> you know, how do we not 
you know, go down those paths, you know, before something shows up like acne or in my case, eczema or something like, is there something that we can do like stickies that we can put up reminders or something around the house to mm -hmm. just remind ourselves that center yourself? Sure. I, I think you're right. You know, even for people who are in the profession of helping and healing, uh, it's difficult to close the gap between knowing and doing. And I usually recommend and try to practice myself having an accountability partner. So whether it is uh, a family member or a sister circle or a spouse or uh, somebody that is a colleague that you know is going to keep you to your word. Um, I have a good friend of mine, and she, she sends me weekly checks. She put my well-being in her calendar. <laughs> and, and so she's on point in contacting me. And we have to do that for each other because sometimes we'll do for other people what we won't do for ourselves. And with COVID, it turns into uh, sometimes a survivor guilt where, you know, you look at other people's situations um, where people were really dropping like flies, contracting COVID, um, suffering from grief of family members, hospitalization. And you look at yourself, you're in good shape, you, you, you're blessed to to impart knowledge and to hold space for people. And you begin to think, well, how could I not do this work when I am faring well? Um, and it's not just about um, are you able, but, but is, it, is it optimal for your self-care? You know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You know, doctor, I often think about the fact that people will say, you know, well, after slavery, we didn't have therapy. We just gathered up our babies and our family and either got stuck in a sharecropping situation or migrated as a part of the refugee migration. And, or, or, but we never got the mental health care and the mental therapy. And now as we're entering this sort of political space where many of the, the telltale signs of life in the post-slavery era or as many of the telltale signs of Jim Crow or even apartheid governance is something that we're dealing with, what would, if you could just prescribe a therapeutic regimen for someone who is coming out of the enslavement space or someone who's coming out of Jim Crow, what would a therapeutic regimen for that community or that person look like as we experience therapy now? Wow, beautiful question, Laurie. You know, I think the first thing for me is always to reach back and remember who we are. Um, because one of the main weapons of uh, colonialism and white supremacy was to destroy our memory um, and to separate us from, you know, basically our, our, our wealth, our cultural wealth. And uh, we've been erased out of history books. Um, we were forced not to speak our native tongue. Um, and so there's so much if we are able to reclaim and remember uh, our traditional uh, place in society where we were prior to enslavement, you know, and go back to where we were in Africa and think about the richness of who we are, we will begin to recognize that we come from a legacy of people that are resilient, um, that were, of course, kings and queens, that were discoverers, um, we, we, we birthed civilization, and that is the first place of intervention because we have been duped into feeling that we don't matter. And all of that is coming out of a legacy of enslavement 
and we have to defy this lie of inferiority. And so the extent to which we do that, uh, we get to reconnect with the, the greatness of, of who we are and our people. I think next we want to talk about um, how do we build our own institutions um, and what do we do to become self-reliant. Many individuals, um, I think you had talked earlier about what it means to um, sort of survive and when you're speaking about, you know, the Latinx vote, we have learned how to survive using tools that really um, are not part of our our fabric, you know, mm. and so there are certain things that are conditioning us to continue to be dependent, whether mm. it's our educational systems, our um, the workforce, um, the way that we raise our children, even our diets and the things that are taught to us as healthy. Um, you know, you think about the food pyramid and, and dairies on there, you know, and it's like, wow, half of us are lactose intolerant. You know, how could dairy be the center of the food pyramid, you know, so really thinking about redefining the systems that socialize us so that we are able to put our needs first and use our own tools to solve our own problems, you know, and always I think we have to do so intergenerationally um, because from the babies through to the elders, um, everyone plays an important part in the system of healing. You know, and children bring that vitality. Um, they have that warrior spirit. You know, they oftentimes don't know how to channel it. Um, and elders bring that ancestral wisdom, you know, and sometimes both of them are left out of the equation. Uh, so those are just a few thoughts of, I well, think, look, what I, we need to do. I was talking to Dr. Carr last night, and I said, we need to be the elders our children need. I think so many of us are chasing youth and chasing, you know, staying young. We have 50-year-old rappers who are dying in their hair and still doing the same things that they did in their 20s and their teens instead of seasoning into the the, the wisdom of, of age that they should have. A lot of us run away from being elders, right? But our mm -hmm. children need elders. Our children need elders, and we must be the elders that children need. And what is what does that process look like for people who have been infantilized, you know, uh, for so long? And in our minds, really, the, the notion of growing old now in this society is something that folks shun instead of embrace. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Karen, you know, we have to first start out with decolonizing our our mind and our values, because that's a very Western content that um, as you get older, somehow you lose value. Hmm. And really, you know, in an African-centered context, as you get older, you gain, you know, you were talking about reverence uh, when that caller called up and was a little nervous, you know, and not that you're old, <laughs> but no, the reverence, I'm, I'm good. you know, the, the reverence that we have, um, the ability to say that we don't do anything before we seek wise counsel from our elders. And so sort of reinstating those basic value systems. And it starts with, you know, how we treat them in our own families, in our, in our own homes. You know, sometimes we're quick to put our elders in nursing homes, you know, or sort of think that what it means to be independent and mature is to move away um, and, and be disconnected. But how do we create an environment where those elders 
you know, are maintained in our nuclear structure and they're not cast away and where we are building a place for them at the table in terms of decision-making, where we have rituals, where the young people get to hear the elders' stories and be able to connect with them in a way that they're learning through metaphor and through stories and, and they're being entertained, but in reality, we're planting seeds, you know, by the elders. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. I know a lot of people are holding on wanting to still talk about politics, but it's Wellness Wednesday. And I said, I promised last week that today is the day we start building for what, what needs to come next. And I think this is super important. So Dr. Jamila Codrington is here, New York State psychologist. When you talk about the system, a lot of us in the read talks about this all the time. How do you build a system when you, you know, our very security or our place is always insecure. You don't know, you know, if we're going back to slavery, when somebody could be sold, how do you have a system if the, the key component is sold, you know, uh, to that, to that plan that you have? We, we are now here and we're not in bondage unless we choose to be. What's the first thing we need to do to set up this system that will free us health-wise, mentally? Mm-hmm. So you're right. So anxiety is fueled by uncertainty, right, and chaos and when we can't predict things. And oftentimes our expectation is that we should be able to control and predict things in the external environment. And wellness really rests on our ability to make a distinction between those things that are within our locus of control and those things that are not. And to begin to reclaim control over things that um, have really been stolen from us. So I think the first thing is to reinstate cultural pride. Because if we have people that are, uh, as Laurie was was talking about earlier, that, you know, they're passing, they're code switching, and they're getting by by um, sort of biting on to this idea that um, it's better to um, put yourself closer to um, capitalism and to whiteness and those values that we think are better. Um, we'll never be able to get to a place where we can build our own institutions. Um, Mm. So the cultural pride comes from being able to recall, as I said earlier, who we are and understand that we all come from a a common source. We all have a, a lineage that brings us back to Africa and we have an ability to be stronger together. So a cultural revolution, I mean, that's what the Black Panther Um, you know, Wakanda Forever was about. That's what Beyonce's Black is King. They're doing it through entertainment, but it's reclaiming the mind and recognizing that, you know, we are African peoples. We have a commonality and we need to, to stick together. So the cultural revolution allows us to be able to see each other as kinfolk, right? Mm. After the cultural revolution, then we need to be able to build our own institutions where we become self-reliant. And this has been one of the blessings in disguise, I think, related to COVID, where we have understood the importance of the black dollar. And people are really understanding about buying black. There's, um, you know, Facebook pages and Instagram um, sites all over where people are 
highlighting and forming communities, sub-communities where you can locate and support black businesses. And when we have an ability to rely on ourselves and are economically independent, then we don't have to have the fear, right, of what happens mm. when master cuts off the hand that feeds us. Come on. The so cultural revolution, you know, self-reliance in the form of um, economic independence. And then I think we have to realize that we have to return to faith, you know, and that for a lot of us, our strength as a people and our resilience has lied in our faith and our, our spiritual strength. And we need to harness that and figure out, you know, however it looks, it doesn't have to be one way, but we need to come together in that. And I think those are the essential ingredients, you know, to our magic sauce. So I'm, I'm, I've got goosebumps because everything you just said, one, does not require the permission, the consent, the funding, or the approval of anybody but us. Right. And I think that's important in this moment where we are, we may be feeling very politically disempowered. The path that you just laid out for how we get our righteous minds back to quote Denzel Washington's character from the film, mm-hmm. The Great Debaters, cultural revolution, self-reliance and faith. None of those require a political campaign in the same way that we think of it. None of them require a legislative vote. That is based on what, who we are and what we can do and have access to right now. And you're reminding me of, we had this, uh, an African-centered Saturday school we created several years ago. And we had a little boy, because, you know, the first part of Saturday school, we don't start in slavery, we start with Africa. Because anytime you start a child's history in slavery, what we have right now is phenomenal. So, but when you know, my daughter was like, we still don't have a woman president. I'm like, yeah, we don't. But we had Queen and Zynga. We had like real queens over like kingdoms yes. and queendoms that like made America look like child's play. So, oh, that's right. That's right. I was like, you know, it's only new for here. But before, if you start in the antiquity of Africa, our capacity expands so far beyond this American version of, of dream or nightmare that we're living in. But we had this African Center Saturday school and the little boys and girls come in and, you know, first they're like, they're like Africa. I don't want no. We had this little brother who was like, I ain't no African. And the sister was like, Miss, I ain't no African booty scratcher. Like, you know, very like, I am not a part of this. This is not who I am. We had to completely deprogrammed the hatred they had been taught towards Africa. And I'm talking eight, nine, ten years old, young people. But once we were able to do that and inspire in them a love for the beauty of Africa and a connection for Africa, they leave the program. They come in the program saying, I ain't no African. They leave the program singing dead press, I'm an African, I'm an African. Do you know what's happening? So it's a completely different worldview and capacity. Their behavior towards each other in the program shifted once they saw themselves as an extension of each other through the cultural uh, revolution connection. So, I mean, all of these things that we're talking about, this is something that our listeners can be doing right now. This is something that you can be setting up in your house, right? Or, or, and even with COVID, virtually. Like my children, their, their new African Scouts program, they don't went from in-person every week at Mama Salah's house. Now they're on a Zoom. So our ability to even have access to programming and the spaces that are safe, culturally revolutionary, inspiring spaces for our community, it's far greater now than it really has been in so many years and in, in so many phases of our lives. And so I just, I highlight that because a lot of times we think, well, I got to go to the city council and I got to go to the school. Yes, you got to do those things. But when it comes to healing us, that is an internal process that we exert complete and total control over. Let's, let's continue this conversation. 
Uh, Dr. Codrington, can you stick around? Absolutely, yes. Okay. When we come back, I also want to talk about drugs. Uh, even though you're a psychologist, so you're not prescribing drugs. Everything is is spiritual. But I want to talk to you about the impact of, of some legislation or, or things we voted on yesterday to decriminalize drugs in Oregon and also to legalize marijuana in certain states. Let's talk about that. And I also want to talk a little bit about Delonte West. 866-801-8255 is the number. It's the Karen Hunter Show. We'll be right back. Hottest show in the galaxy is the Karen Hunter Show. We're here on Sirius XM Urban View where talk and powers and becomes action it is wellness wednesday also collective work and we're doing a bit of both with dr jamila codrington new york state psychologist uh, i also want to tell you arizona south dakota and new jersey last night voted to legalize recreational use of marijuana and oregon <laughs> all right smith and oregon became the first state to decriminalize all drugs so if you're caught with a recreational usage of heroin crack cocaine all of that you will not go to jail in the state of Oregon uh which ah it's interesting but I I I understand it because I put drugs in the same categories I do alcohol and cigarettes they're all harmful I wish none of you did any of it but you shouldn't go to jail for the rest of your natural born life for for having a drug habit I think it's criminal and evil that we have a system that punishes people for being uh sick which is what this is. And speaking of that, Delonte West, uh, basketball player who I used to tease a lot and I won't ever do it again. Apparently was suffering from mental illness, was out on them streets. Um, it's an interesting story that I didn't really talk about on these airways because I didn't want to glorify his, his condition, but he's getting better now. Right. And, um, fans were taking pictures of him and making fun of him on social media. Cause that's what, uh, ignorant ass people do. And apparently we have a whole lot of them in this country. Uh, but Dallas Maverick owner, Mark Cuban saw him on the street and didn't leave him out there. He picked him up. Um, he was begging at a, at a gas station and Cuban went, took him and put him, uh, you know, invited him to go to recovery to a facility where, uh, Cuban just posted a picture of him, uh, at the facility kayaking and he's looking really great. And Cuban said, because we all want something to feel good about today. Here is your Delonte West update. And it's still an uphill battle, but he's climbing. And he said, uh, I can just confirm that I found him and helped him. That's it. The rest is, was up to Delonte and his family. So Cuban got with his mom, put the 37-year-old into rehab, and also paid for his rehab and helped him get back on his feet. So I'm really happy. I'm happy about Mark Cuban, who I've discovered is a really, really nice human being. Uh, beyond this, I've heard some really, some great stories about Mark Cuban and how he moves in the world, uh, but I'm happy for Delonte West. But we have a psychologist here, and of course, Lorie Daniel Favors, Afro State of Mind, is here. Uh, your thoughts on all the drug legalization and what's happening in this country, and share with us. You're talking to me or to the good doctor? To the good doctor. To the good doctor Donnie, first. I, I want to hear from <laughs> and then And then I'll, I'll leave it to you, Lorie. <laughs> you know, so we're New York-based. So having just a, a short trip over to New Jersey uh, where they just uh, legalized uh, recreational marijuana is a pretty big deal, you know. And one of the things that we have, uh, I think, always paid attention to in the black community is how uh, many of these laws, as you were alluding to, are set up so that it disproportionately impacts uh, black and brown individuals and sort of feeds the prison industrial complex. So there is 
um, a very important social impact of the legalization of marijuana that I feel like I'm paying attention to, and I think it's a it's a positive impact in that it is going to, uh, as research has shown, lower uh, the level of um, sort of low-level crimes that are filtering through the criminal justice system, which many of our, you know, young brothers and sisters on the street are subjected to, right? But as a psychologist, I also have to pay attention to the fact that a lot of individuals self-medicate for mental health-related issues. And oftentimes, uh, you know, the easy, accessible uh, drugs are the ones that are the go-to. So I anticipate that it is likely going to um, really increase the number of individuals who are relying on um, substances for a quick fix as opposed <laughs> to doing the work, you know, of, of true healing and self-care. And that's my concern. I do have a concern about that. And, and a lot of people will say that, yes, there's all of these, um, the social impact, but for people who already are struggling with pre-existing mental health issues, um, joblessness, homelessness, um, domestic violence, a trauma history, they are more susceptible um, to not only using substances, but developing addictions. And that becomes a very slippery slope. Marie? Yeah, I had one, uh, I don't want to call him a Baba Lao, but he kind of had that position within the community, like as someone who was spiritually revered. And you know, we were having a conversation, this was years ago, before a lot of states had really gone down this path of having a conversation about legalization. And just about the nature of, of marijuana in particular. We sort of, you know, in my youth, we separated marijuana from every other type of drug. I'm like, it's a plant. It's like spinach. It's a vegetable. It's, it's, it's not kids who are listening. It's a little different. Uh, but we would have these conversations and he said something once. He was like, you know, listen, everybody wants to get to nirvana. Not everyone's willing to do the work to achieve a nirvana-like state. And if you can smoke, a, uh, you know, smoke your way to nirvana in an hour as opposed to achieving nirvana through a practice of meditation, internal, you know, inquiry and connecting with the divine, yeah, that's going to get you there, but it's never going to keep you there. And your ability to achieve the benefits of having entered into nirvana only lasts as long as the high. And for me, that was always like, huh, he never said, don't do it, it's bad. But he said, listen, you could cheat your way to it, but you end up only cheating yourself out of getting the benefits of, the, of creating the internal discipline and the spiritual discipline and guidance um, that would be needed in order for you to achieve that on your own. Because the idea he was suggesting is that we could all achieve nirvana. We could all achieve the high-like state if we were engaged in spiritual practices and discipline. And so you know, I don't know where that came from, but it just reminded me, what you were saying just reminded me of that because it's not that that we should know we should embrace the legalization of marijuana to the, our detriment but we need to be critical about how these types of of substances are able to be a tool um and can also be used to destroy us if we're not careful there are no short shortcuts is what i'm hearing and everyone's looking for one unfortunately looking for an easy way to get to a thing but it's the process that builds your strength that gives you all that you need to go to the next level it's the process. It's like helping a baby bird out of an egg. I often use that analogy. If you come along and crack it open, it will not have the neck muscle to fly or to get food out of the ground. So you've rendered it, you know, useless. Let's uh, go to the phones. Welcoming Candy in Virginia. She's got a comment about wisdom. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. 
Hello, this is Candy. Hi. Hi, I was calling because I was listening to a conversation that you all were having about um, just people running away from their age, running away from their wisdom, and I just thought it was so profound to say that because it is true. Like, we can't just run away from our age, our wisdom. We have to really embrace that so that way we can step into our place and, and, and make that pave that way for the youth that comes up behind us. I feel like that tied into also uh, the earlier conversation. Um, I heard someone saying something about how um, a lot of black people were or, or the, the Latin community were kind of running away from being black or being considered black. And it's kind of the same thing because you kind of have to step into who you are. And when you step into who you are, you step into your wisdom, then you're able to make that clear path for those who come behind you. You're able to teach them as well. So um, I just thought that was very profound. And I just wanted to show my support for what you all were saying with that. And um, just to, just to say, I really love this show. And I just wanted to show my support for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Candy. God bless you. Uh, yeah, and that warms my heart. Dr. Codrington, what are you doing? What are you working on? How do people uh, commune with you? How do they take take advantage of your wonderful services? So people can hit me up at uh, info at drjamila.com, which is D-R-J-A-M-I-L-A.com. I'm also on uh, social media platforms, not so much Twitter, uh, but you can message me on uh, Instagram, reach out to me on Facebook. I'm Dr. Jamila One, which is D-O-C-T-O-R-J-A-M-I-L-A and the number one uh, on all platforms. And any books coming down the pike? Uh, you know, I am working on a number of uh, writing projects, probably not a, a, um, a chapter that is relevant to anything I've talked about on this call, but um, I'm also a specialist in children, adolescents, and families, and a lot of times the way that we learn to work with children is from a Western context. So I'm writing, actually, I've already written and submitted a book chapter on um, how to use culturally relevant and social justice-informed play therapy methods uh, to work with our young populations. Well, we'll have you back to talk about that. Thank you, Dr. Jamila Codrington.